The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to You Are Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges with April J. Ford. April has faced adversity in her life, such as childhood sexual abuse and becoming a widow and a single parent at 32. Through all of her challenges, she has managed to rise above them and conquer her life. She'll help you to do the same. Now, here is your host, April Ford. Welcome. I'm honored to be the voice of You're Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges. I'm April J. Ford. Our episode today is The Slow Revolution, Thriving in a Fast World with my special guest, Carl Honoré, coming in all the way from London. And before I bring him on the line, let's say hello to all of our You're Not Alone listeners out there growing globally. I believe we're in 50-plus countries now. Of course, London's always on the list. So I offer this show as an example for people who may feel alone during adversity, that they are not alone, and that there is hope. Your journey called life is filled with happiness, success, fulfillment, and even disappointments and adversities. I'm here to say that there's golden blessings to be discovered even when life throws you a curveball and you can still experience joy. I created a formula in four steps on how to have a roadmap and blueprint to rise above these challenges. And they are recognize, respond, reevaluate, and rebalance. I believe on taking a holistic approach to empowerment. So this show will bring on expert guests to help you with tools and tips to create your roadmap using the four steps. Now, this will guide you on finding who you are so that you can transition and transform into who you're truly meant to be. To find out more, go to the website at feeljoyagain.com. Now, on with today's segment, Carl is a writer, broadcaster, I should say an award-winning writer, broadcaster, and TED speaker. The Wall Street Journal hailed him as the in-demand spokesperson on slowness. The CBC Sunday edition called him inarguably the world's leading evangelist for the slow movement. His TED Talk on slowness has gotten over 1.6 million views. After working with street children in Brazil, Carl became a journalist covering Europe and South America for The Economist, Observer, Miami Herald, Houston Chronicle, Time, and other publications. Translated into more than 30 languages, his best-selling books, Examine Our Compulsion to Hurry, and Chronicle a Global Trend Towards Putting on the Brakes. And I find this very humorous. While researching for his first book, In Praise of Slowness, Carl was slapped with a speeding ticket. He'll have to give us his story on that. He now lives in London with his wife and two children. In his spare time, he plays slow sports like squash and hockey. Welcome to You're Not Alone, Carl. How are you all the way from London? Thank you very much. It's good to be with you. 
Now tell us, uh, tell us, you know, when you were promoting, you know, in praise of slowness, you were slapped with a speeding ticket, or at least in your research part of the book, yeah. that, that sounds pretty <laughs> ironic. <laughs> it does. And it's one of those little personal nuggets that I thought about not letting out into the world. And then I decided that it had to be there because it reminds people and it reminds me that nobody's perfect. You know, I'm not a paragon of slow. I will sometimes go too fast. And that episode was really pretty shaming, actually, because it happened in Italy. I was uh, doing some research there and I was actually on my way to a slow food dinner. When I got my speeding ticket. <laughs> so I turned up at this dinner 20 minutes early. You know, the doors weren't even open yet clutching this speeding ticket, feeling like I was wow. two inches tall. And I thought was one, that was one of my uh, many wake-up calls along the way. Wow. Now, why did you decide to go down the path of really recognizing to slow down your life and really study us as a human culture on our compulsion to hurry? Well, I think that when we get stuck in fast forward and we forget how to slow down, that it often takes a shock to the system or a wake-up call, something to make us realize that we've lost that art of slowness and that this is doing us real harm. And for many people nowadays, that wake-up call comes in the form of an illness. One day the body just says, I cannot take the pace anymore, and you have a burnout or some other kind of illness kicks in. Or, or maybe a relationship goes up in smoke so you haven't had the time or the tranquility to listen to the other person or, or be with them. Uh, my wake-up call came with a thud when I started reading bedtime stories to my son Oh, yeah, I remember that from your TED Talk. We've we've all been there, right? And and as Mm -hmm. parents, we'll all recognize this scenario. You know, I'd go into his room at the end of the day, and I just could not slow down. So I'd be sitting on his bed with one foot on the floor, speed reading Snow White, you know, skipping lines, paragraphs. I became an expert in what I dubbed the multiple page turn technique. Oh, I've done that. I'm guilty of that. Hopefully my kids don't listen to this and be traumatized. painfully familiar but of course it never works right because our kids know these stories inside out so my son would always catch me and say daddy why are there only three dwarves in the story Skip tonight? The page. <laughs> <laughs> um and this this went on some time until i caught myself speed reading a newspaper article with time-saving tips for fast people like me to go even faster and one tip mentioned a book called the one minute bedtime story so snow white and all those wow. glorious children's tales boil down to 60-second chunks. And I remember thinking, hallelujah, right? I need to get that now from Amazon, drone delivery. But, mm-hmm. but thankfully, I had a second reaction after that, which was very different. It was a real light bulb over the head moment. And I suddenly thought, whoa, has it really come to this? Am I really in such a hurry that I am prepared to fob off my son with a soundbite instead of a story at the end of the day? And that, for me, was the, the, the turning point when I realized that I'd lost my bearings, I'd lost my compass, I'd lost my mind. Mm-hmm. And as a journalist and a writer, I wanted to understand not only my own addiction to speed, but how that fit into the bigger picture. So I set off on my journey around the world researching and, and eventually wrote the books that uh, we're, we're talking about today. Yeah, and, and I, I want to echo on that because I completely, absolutely agree. Um, like when I listened to your TED Talk and you brought up the one-minute bedtime story, I was guilty of that before I you know, do what I do now and also being an author, speaker in the media and life coaching. I was in a corporate world as a senior engineer and balancing, you know, being the alpha mom of having a career and, you know, a spouse and the two kids. I, I caught myself, like you said, skipping pages just to <laughs> finish up the pages. And I, and like I said, I feel guilty because, yeah, kids know. K- kids would know if, like, that's not, you know, what happened to that part of the story? <laughs> and we just, yeah. like, skipped over it. 
you're not going to pull the wool over a child's eyes when it comes to bedtime stories. Right. They've got us all figured out. Yeah, but but in all seriousness, you know, I do recognize that the other point that you brought on that sometimes you know people have to encounter a curveball in life or an adversity for them to really reset their life perspective, and it all relates down to how they treat time. You know, going back to my personal story, for me, becoming a widow at the age of 32 and a single parent, it gave me the opportunity to hit the reset button on my life and really prioritize, okay, what's really important now? Um, like going, going back to the title of being an alpha mom, I was just busy doing things and having having it all instead of being me, being who I am first and then doing and having so for you, like you said, it, that was your aha moment of, do I give my son the soundbite version of spending quality time with him in the bedtime story or the full story of just spending time? Then yeah. like what you said, it could be your relationships. It could be um, an illness to your health. Well, you put your finger on something really central there when you talked about being and doing, because I think that in this roadrunner culture where every moment of the day has become a race against the clock and we're all about more is more, doing more and more things, that we have become human doings instead of human beings. Mm. And a big part of this slow culture quake or this slow revolution that I'm uh, pushing and, and a big part of is, is to reverse that equation and to get back to relearning the lost art of, of being and, and letting, right. doing, letting the doing part find its place but not allow it to dominate and conquer all before it. Right. Now, what do you think, how would you explain to our audience out there, since the reality is we are in a fast-paced world, is the slow movement anti-speed? Would you call it anti-speed? No, definitely not. And of course, that's what people think. And it's not surprising because there's such a deep taboo against the very idea of slowness in our culture. That slow has become a, a dirty word. A four-letter word is a byword for lazy, stupid, unmodern, unproductive, all those things that nobody wants to be. But, but the slow movement, when you talk about slow with a capital S, we're not talking about doing everything at a snail's pace very slowly. That would be absurd. I, I'm not a, an extremist or a fundamentalist <laughs> of slowness. I love speed. You know, I understand that faster is often better. But the key here is that faster is not always better, right? Mm -hmm. And we live in a culture that tells us that if you want to do something better, you have to do it more quickly. And that's really what the slow movement is trying to take down. Because when we get into a, a, a situation, as we are at the moment, where our default setting is always acceleration, then we fall into preposterous positions. I mean, I mean, the, the whole speed culture is now almost consuming itself. You look around the world and there are classes in speed yoga. You can attend oh a drive-through funeral. I mean, we're just racing <laughs> our lives instead of actually living them. So slow is about saying, okay, we understand that fast is good sometimes, but there are other paces and rhythms to work with as well. It's about doing things at the right speed, sometimes okay. fast, sometimes slow, and sometimes, you know, just completely stopped. It's about being mindful, being in the moment. Some, those are some other ways of putting it. But it's about doing things well rather than fast, I suppose, in essence. Okay. Well, in essence, it's really slowing down to speed up, but not necessarily speed up on both ends of the spectrum because you speed up, like you said, you get burnt out and you can get stuck just by being on that hamster wheel versus going too slow, you know, not creating any momentum. Um, you can also get stuck. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's good slow and bad slow, right? <laughs> you know, if you're stuck in a, an hour and a half check traffic jam, then that's bad slow. Uh, but, but there's good slow too, which is taking the time to read a bedtime story to your child without skipping pages. It's taking the time to look at a problem from every angle 
at work so that you come up with a really sensible and long-term solution, you know, and, and it's getting enough sleep. It, it can be as simple as, as that. Um, it's about finding that balance between fast and slow. And you talked about speeding up there. This is what I think of as the delicious paradox of slow, that by slowing down and having slow moments, that means that when it comes time to go fast, when we get into those moments in the modern world where we do have to speed up, we can do it. You know, we can be fast because we have the energy, we have the focus, we've had the slow moment that enables us to make the most of the fast moment when it comes round. So it's about getting that equilibrium right so that you do end up thriving more, really, in a fast world. It's not certainly not about going back to some pre-industrial utopia where there are no iPhones and everybody wanders around in, right. in you know, the peasant rags. It's, I'm very much about the modern world, but I think it's really the key here is finding that balance between fast and slow. So in using the four steps uh, with, you know, the first is bringing awareness to recognize, how can people recognize, maybe do a reality check on their alignment? Like, are, are is their pace going too fast? Are they going too slow? Are they right on point? Um, any tips on being able yeah. to recognize your there pace? There are certain red flags and some warning signs that we can all notice. I mean, I mentioned we touched briefly there on health. I think if you are always tired, you know, you're waking up in the morning tired, you're needing, I don't know how many cups of coffee to get through your day, then that's probably a sign that you're overloaded and moving too mm -hmm. fast. Uh, another thing is a lack of pleasure. Because one of the things that we sacrifice in the altar of speed and doing many things is we lose the joy of the moment. And we lose the, the, the pleasure of the things that we're actually doing. So if, if you are going through your life and it on paper looks amazing, but you feel vaguely empty and unfulfilled. And I think that can be a sign that you're skimming the surface and moving too quickly through your life rather than actually living it. And another red flag or, or warning signal is memory. You know, there's an intimate bond between memory and slowness. And when we, things move too fast, everything becomes a blur and nothing sticks. So if you're going mm -hmm. through your life mm -hmm. and you're looking back and thinking, I can't remember what that conversation was about from yesterday, or I can't remember what I ate two days ago, you know, then you're possibly also moving too fast because a big part of one of the things I've found by slowing down is that I remember things so much more, so much better than I used to when I was moving too quickly. So th those are three things I think people can look out for as signs Great. that they may be stuck in roadrunner mode. Okay. So hopefully you guys are taking notes. The top three things that you can do that Carl recommends is doing a health check, you know, just listening to your body and the symptoms and what it's telling you. Uh, the second would be your fulfillment. Are you feeling um, fulfilled or are you even spending time to bring in the time that brings, you know, you pleasure? And the third is your memory retention. So let's go ahead and take our break and more with Carl on the slow revolution with his best-selling book in praise of slowness. up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Has life ever thrown you a curveball called challenges or maybe even a boulder called adversity? You are not alone. How to Rise Above Life's Challenges with Grace, Gratitude, Love, and Joy is about finding the gold in life's challenges. April J. Ford shares how tragedies from her past taught her the alchemy of adversity. Who we are inside and the way we handle the challenges we face is how we transition and transform into who we are truly meant to be. 
pick up your copy today at www.feeljoyagain.com or by clicking on the link on the You Are Not Alone show page. Joy's Gift is a 501c3 nonprofit that empowers women and youth to transition from tragedy to triumph, from loss or sexual abuse. Our program emphasizes a foundation of developing true self-mastery of independence. Our services provide a support system and infrastructure of wraparound resources for services focused on mental, emotional, and spiritual healing. Restore someone's hope, love, peace, and help them develop self-mastery of independence by sharing your gifts with Joy's Gift at www.joysgift.org. That's joysgift.org. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into You Are Not Alone. To reach April J. Ford or her guest on today's program, you may call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send April an email, her email address is Ford at joysofyah.com. Now, back to You Are Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges. We are back with Carl, my guest today, an award-winning writer, broadcaster, and TED speaker. You guys might have seen his TED Talk that is gotten over 1.6 million views online. And check out his best-selling book, In Praise of Slowness. And that's what we're talking about today. How do we thrive in a fast world? And how do we really reset our life and priorities, especially when life throws us a curveball? We tend to really look at our time, you know, how do we perceive our time and really prioritize what's important. So Carl, tell us, you know, if we slow down, don't you think that people fear that life will pass them by? I definitely think that that's what people fear, but I believe that they're wrong to fear it because ultimately life is what's happening right here, right now. And if you're racing along like a headless chicken, juggling nine things at the same time, then you are missing out on all of those moments. It's really by slowing down that you're able to live more fully and get more out of life. It's a kind of paradox in a way because we've been so marinated in this idea that faster is better and that more is more. The, the, the very notion of putting on the brakes and doing, doing a little less and taking our time over stuff seems seems ridiculous. But, of course, that is the secret to to living a full and, and, and meaningful life. And you used a phrase earlier on in the interview, which I like very much. You talked about golden blessings. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's by slowing down that we are able to tap into those golden moments, those moments of blessing, those golden blessings, if you like, whether it's connection with another person or just enjoying the, the glory of being in an amazing sunset or a, a food that you've never encountered before that you really, really engage with. All of those things only ever explode in technicolor in our lives when we slow down and give them our full attention and the time they deserve. So I think the, the opposite is really true, that by slowing down, uh, life doesn't pass you by. By slowing down, you live life the way life is meant to be lived. Right. And I think sometimes we do, it takes us a conscious moment to really reflect on you know, the time that we did spend. Because like you said, sometimes faster is not always better. It's actually less is more. And we spend 
our time racing ourselves to get more done, you know, off our to-do list. I mean, I still have to remind myself of this during the holiday break. I was working on some of my online products and my goal was to do, um, I think like 20, 20 products and within a period of two months. And I got down to maybe 18 out of the 20 or 21. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I was stressing myself out like, oh my God, I didn't get two or three done. I didn't get two. But then I had to stop for a moment and really reset and have a moment of gratitude of let me just stop for a moment and look back on what I did accomplish. You know, yeah. I did accomplish the 18 or 19 um, within a pretty good amount of time. And why was I stressing over the two or three that I didn't get done instead of trying to race myself to get those two done? Exactly. And that's the recalibration that really needs to happen now to move our focus away from what we haven't done to what we are doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it's, it sounds simple, but it's actually a profound shift that can turn your life upside down and inside out in, in the best way possible. Yeah. And I think it's also has to do with the shifting of the paradigm, like you said, with society of, of it's okay, like faster is always better and doing more is always better. You know, you call people and you say, hey, how are you doing today? Oh, busy as usual. Things are good. Like busy is not always good. It's like, I don't want to live my life being overly busy just to be busy. <laughs> like it's glorified. It's like it's glorified to be busy. Exactly. In fact, it's it is, as you say, it's sort of woven into our vernacular. You meet someone in the street. How are you doing? Busy. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and in fact, if people don't say they're busy, they feel like somehow they're a failure, that it's an act of surrender not to be busy. But although I think, I think when, you, when you do slow down and begin to think about what it means to live fully and live well, you realize that, yeah, busyness has its place. But if you are always busy, then you're really missing out. Right. And I, I think you end up overcompensating or compromising in the other areas of your life like you brought up. In the previous segment of, you know, maybe your health, you know, you're not paying attention to your health or um, maybe you've forgotten how to have fun or bring in joy in your life. It could be your relationships are suffering with your spouse or your kids because um, you're just so busy, caught up in just doing all the time. Exactly. Something something has to give, whether it's your health and, and often it's, it's at work. People start making more mistakes. They become less creative, less productive because they're they're overwrought, they're distracted, they're too busy, they haven't changed gears ever. It, it, one way or another, the, 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 bill, the bill will be passed to you if you get stuck in that fast-forward mode and you only have one speed and that speed is turbo. Something is going to give at some point. Right. Now, since you did this study and you have your best-selling book, how has slowing down changed your life? Well, it's, for me, it's been a huge change, and I was worried that that might not be the case. I thought when I set out to write the book, I might end up with a book that made sense on paper but hadn't actually done anything for me personally, but mm-hmm. thankfully, that's not the case. I do have a very clear before and after. Before, I was a card-carrying speedaholic. You know, every moment of my day was a dash to the finish line. I was always rushed, but now, I don't, I don't, I don't have that feeling of being rushed. Al- almost never, I would say. I still have a what on the surface is a rich, exciting life. I do lots of you know, interesting work. I have a fun social life and, and a great family life and so on. But I don't feel that itch of rushing anymore. And that's the real core of the change in my life. How has that expressed itself? Well, I feel like I've got a lot more energy and better health now that I'm not racing around all the time. I definitely feel like I'm more productive, creative, and less error-prone. At work, uh, I feel like I take more pleasure from everything because the things I do 
whether it's eating or uh, being with a friend or even just watching TV, I do one thing at a time rather than trying to cram in several things. And uh, it means that I enjoy those things more, more fully and I remember them more as we were talking about memory earlier. My social bonds and relationships are a lot stronger because I mm. have time for people, the people who matter. And when I'm with them, I am there fully. I'm not wondering what's happening on my inbox or whether our, my next item on the to-do list needs more attention. You know, I'm really there. And, you know, I see that with my son in bedtime stories that, you know, that whole thing completely changed where go into his room at the end of the day and sit down and read no more multiple page technique, you know, <laughs> and I will tell you Snow White is a lot better with seven doors than three. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, and what used to be such a punishment to me, bedtime stories, because it was so slow, I just couldn't bear it. Now I look forward to it really as my reward at the end of the day when I can just unplug enter that sacred bubble with my children, shut out the cares and worries of the world and just be with them, read, laugh, cuddle, tell stories, all that kind of stuff that the things that give life meaning and texture and the moments that we will all look back on with such fondness, you know, 20 years from now. Right. Well, it sounds like I like the before and after picture you've painted, you know, before you were the, you know, speedaholic workaholic, uh, didn't have too much time to really be present in the moment of whatever you're doing, you know, whether it's work related or being with your family um, and your kids. But now it, it almost sense. I, I'm sensing like more of a sense of peace and well-being and your health is in better alignment with your productivity and improvement on memory. But it's really a sense of peace is what I'm, what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I you don't want to get too peaceful. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> quite ready. I'm not quite ready to be put out to pasture, but yeah, I, I've definitely achieved a kind of, yeah, peace or equilibrium or whatever the word that works best is uh, that feeling of just knowing that I'm living my life at the right speed for me rather than feeling that I have to live it at a speed that's been imposed by other people or society's expectation. You know, I, I'm living at my tempo and my rhythm and living so, so much better as a result. Now, what can you recommend to, you know, since we can get into different aspects of how it affected your life, the before and after, because it sounds like it affected in, in various areas, like you said, your health, your relationships, your work. But when, when we speak on taking a holistic approach, a holistic approach to wellness, um, do you see any benefits in that, such as, you know, medical traditions versus uh, holistic healing? And how does that play into the slowness revolution? Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's a huge kind of slow culture quake going on within the world of medicine, as people realize that the pop a pill, I want to be better by tomorrow morning approach. Yeah, just cure cure the symptoms versus actually healing. Exactly. Nuke nuke the symptoms and we'll, you know, let somebody else worry about the root cause of the problem later. Mm -hmm. Uh, That that tends to characterize a lot of Western conventional medical thinking. And it's not working, right? You know, we're spending more money on medical uh, care and, and services now than ever before. But in many ways, we seem less well, especially when you look at the prevalence and and, and explosion of chronic illnesses, which famously do not respond well to quick fixes, they need slow fixes. They need holistic approaches. They need people to take time to, for the practitioner to listen. Uh, All of those things that require time and patience and joining the dots and seeing the big picture rather than just, as you said, finding a symptom and zapping it. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a big change within conventional medicine, but alongside it uh, and part of the same cultural shift is this rise or return of traditional forms of medicine or complementary and alternative therapies, which fit very much 
into the slow way of thinking. If you go to whether it's acupuncture or massage or Reiki or whatever, any of these alternative complementary therapies, you know, the first thing you notice is that you usually see the practitioner for half an hour, maybe an hour, which is so much longer than you get with a, a normal physician. Isn't right. It? Like five and minutes, that person, yeah. that person will listen to you. They will look into your eyes. They will touch you. You know, that never happens in normal life anymore. I mean, maybe it happens in a nightclub from time to time and you may not even want it then, right? But, <laughs> but you know, in, in a medical setting, that often doesn't happen. It's become, you know, often the doctor is looking at his or her watch or a computer screen. There, there isn't that human connection, that feeling of being heard. And, and if we all, we know now, you know, really from the research that when patients feel that doctors or practitioners are listening to them, when they feel they've been heard, they mm-hmm. relax, natural healing mechanisms kick in. And in fact, the patient often gets better faster which brings us back to what I described earlier as the delicious paradox of slow, that by slowing down at the right moments, you get not only better results, but often you get them more quickly. Right. And, and I like how you brought up the the amount of time it really takes to take a holistic approach to healing, but it touches on the emotional well-being um, when you're open to you know combining both methods, because I'm a proponent on doing both, you know, medical conventional traditions versus non-conventional holistic uh, modalities. And it taps into, like you said, the emotional well-being towards somebody's recovery. Absolutely. And of course, we are hardwired for emotion. We are emotional beings and we are social creatures. And one of the things that you cannot accelerate, no matter how much of a rush you're in, is social relationships. You know, you no matter how hurried you are, you can't listen faster to somebody, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, you right. simply can't do it. You've got to slow down, find their rhythm and tempo, connect with them. And it's it, even moving beyond the medical world, you go out into where we are in the rest of our lives with social relationships. Again, we seem to be constantly trying to speed them up. And you see a lot of this online where people have 921 friends on Facebook, but when was the last time they actually spent a whole afternoon chatting with one face-to-face in the park, right? Right. You know, again, it's that quantity versus quality. And it's the old, remember that old song from Phil Collins, You Can't Hurry Love. I mean, Mm. never was that more true than it is today. And yet we live in a world where we're definitely trying to hurry up. Speed dating. (laughs) Speed dating, Tinder, right? (laughs) But you you cannot make somebody fall in love with you faster because you want to get married (laughs) next month. It just doesn't happen like that. These things have a natural arc natural rhythm and timeline to them and if we don't slow down and find that universal deep uh, pace that all of natural human relations have then they don't work they break down which is why i think many of us now although we have more connections electronically than ever before many of us feel alone right right okay let's go ahead and take our break and more with carl on how can the slowest revolution really affect Um, our kids, you know, our millennium generation as we leave the footprints um, for them. So more when we come back. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Has life ever thrown you a curveball called challenges, or maybe even a boulder called adversity? You are not alone. How to Rise Above Life's Challenges with Grace, Gratitude, Love, and Joy is about finding the gold in life's challenges. April J. Ford shares how tragedies from her past taught her the alchemy of adversity. Who we are inside and the way we handle the challenges we face is how we transition and transform into who we are truly meant to be. 
pick up your copy today at www.feeljoyagain.com or by clicking on the link on the You Are Not Alone show page. Joy's Gift is a 501c3 nonprofit that empowers women and youth to transition from tragedy to triumph, from loss or sexual abuse. Our program emphasizes a foundation of developing true self-mastery of independence. Our services provide a support system and infrastructure of wraparound resources for services focused on mental, emotional, and spiritual healing. Restore someone's hope, love, peace, and help them develop self-mastery of independence by sharing your gifts with Joy's Gift at www.joysgift.org. That's joysgift.org. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned into You Are Not Alone. To reach April J. Ford or her guest on today's program, you may call in to 1 888 346 9141. Again, that's 1 888 346 9141. If you'd rather send April an email, her email address is Ford at joysofyah.com. Now, back to You Are Not Alone How to Rise Above Life's Challenges. We're back. Welcome back. We are speaking with Carl Honoré, the award-winning writer, broadcaster, and TED speaker. So let's go ahead and jump right in with this segment on the slow revolution. I wanted to get Carl's opinion since he did a pretty extensive study traveling the world as a journalist on studying different cultures on the slow versus fast um, pace that we now live in and how do we um, basically thrive in a fast-paced environment. So, Carl, in your opinion, how do you think this affects the younger generations? Well, I think it affects them profoundly. Uh, in fact, my, my second book, Under Pressure, is all about where we are with childhood. Uh, and, and where we are is that childhood has been hijacked by adults in a way I don't think we've ever seen before in human history, hijacked by our fears and fantasies and anxieties and agendas. You know, for a lot of kids now, childhood has come to resemble a, a race to perfection. They come mm-hmm. out of the womb and they hit the ground running, right? With baby Einstein DVDs, baby sign language courses, oh my gosh, yeah. sports clinics, mm-hmm. Mandarin lessons in the Moses basket, you know, and then the, it just carries on with endless extracurriculars and immense academic pressure at school. And I think more and more people are realizing, parents, teachers, sports coaches, anyone who deals with children, face-to-face, is realizing that that is backfiring, that children need slowness. You know, they need it maybe even more than grown-ups do because it's in those moments of unstructured time, of free play, of taking risks, of of playing when adults aren't loitering around telling them how to play better and how to play faster. Uh, uh, Moments even of boredom. You know, we're we're all so terrified of boredom nowadays. Mm -hmm. Boredom is actually a very useful thing. If you allow a child to get bored and back off and allow boredom to happen, then that's when the child is forced to turn in on him or herself, their internal reservoirs and devices. And to, to, it's when they learn how to use their imagination, how to invent and create, how to get along with their peers, how to work out who they are rather than what we want them to be. So there's a big, big shift now within the whole world of education, parenting, and so on, uh, to try and move away from this full speed ahead, high octane, high stakes, high pressure approach to raising children. And I mentioned my book, but I've also been making, I've just made a TV 
show in uh, Australia for the ABC in Australia called Frantic Family Rescue, <laughs> where I oh wow, remember that program Super Nanny? Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh-huh. I'm like slow nanny, so I, I get these families <laughs> for a month, and I have to go in and and show them that it's okay to slow down. And of course, at first, they really chafe against it because they're they're high high energy, very fast. Yeah, yeah that's not in the schedule, Carl. You got to stay on schedule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't just schedule in you know five minutes of slowness on Saturday morning, and the rest of the week we really really fast. Uh, but but you know, I I crack the whip, and they take away their schedules and dial down the technology, and they all it's amazing how they all have revelations of different kinds and epiphanies along the way and go back to their lives, you know, bringing some of that slow into the table. And we're talking about some very fast families here. Uh, and it's, so it, it, it tells me that all is not lost, that we have lost our way a bit with the way we approach children, but it's not, it's not over. We can turn it around. And in many ways people are, whether it's in schools, families, communities, sports teams and leagues, people are bringing that slow way of thinking to the table and saying, look, children need this as well. Right. And I really like your point on the phrase that you use on we really hijacked our kids' childhood when we're, you know, packing their schedules, their school, academic, as well as social and sports, athletic, whatever the activity is. And it's so packed. I think the consequences that I'm picking up as a parent um, and in hearing from you is really the stuff that backfire is is their creativity, giving them the room to be creative and imaginative and also enabling our kids to have that moment to make a choice, you know, instead of us telling them that they need to do this, of just having the breathing room of making a choice. Okay, now you have 10, 20 minutes of free choice. What would you do with your time? You know, let them decide on what's going to be productive um, for them, or just relaxation time, or whatever it is, but you're, you need to empower your kids to um, to be able to decide on their own how to make decisions and choices. Yeah, and this is the uncomfortable irony here is, of course, that this kind of parenting, and, and in a way, modern parenting has become a cross between a competitive sport and product development, <laughs> whether we wanted it or not, because most parents did not sign up for that, but you just got caught up in the hurly-burly and the, and, and the rat race atmosphere. And next thing you know, you're driving your children around to 50 activities in three days. Uh, but of course, it does, it does backfire. You, you talked about loss of creativity and lack of using time, but we're seeing all kinds of other symptoms of this parenting culture or child-rearing culture going wrong. Uh, you know, um, one example is that athletic children you know, are suffering from serious sports injuries at younger and younger ages because we've intensified and sped up and professionalized youth sports. Uh, obesity levels are going through the roof. One reason being because kids are wrapped in cotton wool, kept indoors and not allowed to, 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 to play um, mm, outdoors freely right. as they once did. Uh, or look at the rise of child depression, anxiety, self-harm, substance abuse. Right. Uh, all of those eating disorders, all those things. I mean, these are signs that something is not right in, in the Garden of Eden uh, of, of childhood, that something is seriously wrong. And of course, if the main aim of raising children is that they can stand on their own two feet, then we are falling down on that score as well. Because you're starting to find, even at you know big universities now, you hear professors describing this scenario where they're sitting in a one-on-one with a a 19-year-old who has a luminous resume, he looks great on paper, but but he gets frustrated when he wants to change courses. He, he can't fight his corner. And, you know, increasingly, what that child does now is whip out the cell phone, hit speed dial, hand it over to the prof, and say, "Why don't you sort this out with my mom?" Right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and this mm-hmm. is something you're hearing more and more at the big uh, big college or all colleges of all standings. Um, and even after 
graduation, that umbilical cord is not getting snipped. Big companies like Merrill Lynch are publishing what they call parent packs or having open parent days when mom and dad can come and inspect the office for junior, oh, wow. make sure it's right for junior. And in, on the really extreme end, you find even some parents now, believe it or not, coming along to their 20-something children's job interviews and trying to help them negotiate salary and vacation packages. So mm-hmm. somewhere along the way, something has got lost. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can see the ripple effect that you pointed out. It, it, it dives deeper to like you said, with the health with the kids or their emotional well-being of obesity, depression, anxiety, injuries. Um, what do you think it is? Like, Why do you think the parents push it so hard to live a fast and a packed life? I, I think there are lots of reasons. One is that uh, every society ends up with a childhood that reflects that society's own strengths, weaknesses, and neuroses. And as parents, we're overscheduled. We're plugged into our gadgets too much. We're running around with overstuffed schedules. So it's not surprising that we end up exporting that to our children. I think also that the world is, you know, it is more competitive and cutthroat than it was 20, 30 years ago. So parents feel they really have to prepare their kids to get to the very top of the pile. And if you don't get to the top of the pile, somehow you're you're a failure as a parent and your child your child will end up with a heroin addiction, sleeping in, under a bridge, rough, you know, that kind of idea of all or nothing uh, for children. I think also the uh, the whole kind of consumer culture, in a way, has played into this, that we have a culture now of soaring expectations where we expect everything to be perfect, to have a perfect body, a perfect home, perfect vacation, and a perfect child mm-hmm. to round out the picture. And social media, of course, reinforces that with everybody publishing pictures of their perfect children, having perfect lives, and building perfect resumes, right? So that reinforces mm-hmm. that as well. And I think also something else has occurred that, again, we haven't seen before in human history, which is that we're having... Fewer children now than ever before, uh, one, one child, two child families, very common. And we know from all the research, especially in China, that when ch- people have fewer children, they're more anxious about those children. They're more worried. So that explains partly what's going on. And also the fact that we're having kids older means that I think people are also bringing more anxiety into the parenting game. They're coming to parenting after many years in the workplace and bringing the office ethos. You know, how do we parent better? Well, let's do what we do at work to do things better. We'll bring in the experts spend a lot of money and we'll, we'll put in long, hard hours. We will professionalize parenting. So I think if you wow. put all those things together, it adds up to a perfect storm, which is turn parenting into this a competition. Product, competition. Yeah, it's a competitive yeah. sport. It's yeah. product development. It's, uh, it's project management. It's all the things that it really ought not to be. And I think right. most parents realize that because I spend a lot of time speaking in schools and I've been making this TV program. So this is on my radar and I'm down in the trenches talking to parents all the time and wherever you go, Parents are saying the same thing. They're saying, how did this happen? You know, this is not what I wanted for family life. Mm -hmm. How did I get here? And and so it's really now, I guess, about breaking through where we are and saying, you know, there are other ways. There is there is another way to do things. And and I'm I'm an optimist and I see more and more parents, schools, sports leagues, clubs and so on, dialing down the pressure, looking for ways to back off and let children be children, essentially. Right. And I like that. And with that, let's hold that thought on, you know, talking about our kids and hijacking their childhood, really. Let's go ahead and take our break. And when we come back more with Carl on the slow revolution. up to your fullest potential. 
This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Has life ever thrown you a curveball called challenges or maybe even a boulder called adversity? You are not alone. How to Rise Above Life's Challenges with Grace, Gratitude, Love, and Joy is about finding the gold in life's challenges. April J. Ford shares how tragedies from her past taught her the alchemy of adversity. Who we are inside and the way we handle the challenges we face is how we transition and transform into who we are truly meant to be. Pick up your copy today at www.feeljoyagain.com or by clicking on the link on the You Are Not Alone show page. Joy's Gift is a 501c3 nonprofit that empowers women and youth to transition from tragedy to triumph, from loss or sexual abuse. Our program emphasizes a foundation of developing true self-mastery of independence. Our services provide a support system and infrastructure of wraparound resources for services focused on mental, emotional, and spiritual healing. Restore someone's hope, love, peace, and help them develop self-mastery of independence by sharing your gifts with Joy's Gift at www.joysgift.org. That's joysgift.org. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. tuned into you are not alone to reach april j ford or her guest on today's program you may call in to 1-888-346-9141 again that's 1-888-346-9141 if you'd rather send april an email her email address is april j ford at joys now back to you are not alone how to rise above life's challenges welcome back we are speaking with Carl, the Wall Street Journal hailed him as the in-demand spokesman on slowness. And we're glad to have him with us today to kind of help reset our priorities in life and how do we thrive in a fast world. So Carl, you know, from the last segment, we were talking about how this affects, you know, our kids if we're parenting or even if you don't have kids, just the younger generation in general in society with the millennium generation. What do you think the main obstacle is in slowing down in this fast world? I think if I had to sum it up in one word, I would probably use the word fear. And fear in many different ways. We're afraid to slow down because in a culture that prizes speed and denigrates slowness, we fear being scorned and looked down upon. We fear being left behind, like we were talking about earlier. I, I think we also fear about missing out. You know, FOMO, fear of missing out. The world is this incredible smorgasbord of things to do and experience and consume. And the natural human instinct is to want to have it all. But, of course, the, having it all is just another way of saying hurrying it all. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the final dimension of fear, which goes a little deeper, is that by slowing down, you are forced to confront yourself. And I think that's, oh, I like that. mm-hmm. that's often the scariest thing for people because speed, busyness, very often is an instrument of denial. It's a way of filling your head with distraction, a way of running away from the big questions. You know, who am I? Am I leading the, the right life for me? Am I well? Are the people around me who matter well? And you just end up focusing on the small stuff, like where are my keys? I'm late for my 11 a.m., right? Mm-hmm. And by slowing down, 
you are forced, but not forced makes it sound like a bad thing. It can be uncomfortable, but it's healthy. You're invited, let's say, to, to look into yourself and to ask those big questions. Who am I? What is my purpose here? What, what, what kind of, what would a meaningful life mean to me? How can I make that life happen? All those big questions uh, can be scary to confront at first. And I think that's part of that whole fear factor that keeps us away from slowing down is the fear of having to face our demons, if you like, or those big questions. And that's why therapists always say that one of the last stages before burnout is one last burst of acceleration because the person mm-hmm. is trying, as it were, to outrun all of their problems before right. then into the yeah, wall and forced to confront the self and those problems and to do some emotional yeah. and spiritual and metaphysical housekeeping. So I, I guess fear would be the one thing I think that's mm-hmm. stopping people. And I think also you touched on a point when you say you're, you're – forced, whether it's a situation or circumstance that comes your way or invited, it's a gentler way of confronting yourself, your emotions, your thoughts, um, you know, where you stand in your life. But I think people are scared of loneliness. You know, they're scared to be alone. And there is a healthy boundary of where loneliness is healthy and being alone of self-reflection is is um, good for us. But like I said, there there's a line where it crosses... Uh, when you get into too far in the deep end with loneliness and it causes a ripple effect of, of your health and mm-hmm. your self outlook, your self worth and all that. But, you know, I think initially people are scared to just be alone with themselves. I think, I think they are for the reasons that we, we've been talking about that, that confronting those deeper questions. But of course, in order to get along with other people and build strong relationships, the starting point for that is having a strong relationship with yourself. Right. And the only way to achieve that is to be alone sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, explains why so many people in a way do feel lonely nowadays or feel disconnected from others is that they haven't done that personal work or had that personal experience of being alone, they're constant. When they are alone, immediately they're reaching for their phone and they're on social media or looking at a website or on BuzzFeed or whatever it is and never taking the time to to look inside themselves. But if you do slow down, you do reconnect with yourself, then you go out into the world with so much more to offer and and Mm -hmm. so much so much better equipped to connect with other people because you're coming from a strong place. You're coming from a place of knowing who you are and how you want to fit world. Right. And and I'm a firm believer in that, um, you know, with the adversities that I personally experience and the people that I help coach and mentor, I see that as a pattern. It's almost like when you go through a boulder of adversity or a curveball, it forces you to discover who you really are Mm -hmm. and how you handle your challenges. It's almost like you, you get through that darkness or valley and then you discover who you really are. Then you know, you're okay with the moments of being alone and what it feels like to be lonely and then go conquer the world after you've done that. <laughs> exactly. And, and of course, the, the, the process you've just described there of going through dealing with those emotions, coming to terms with them, that takes time and cannot be accelerated. And if you try and speed it up and get through it really quickly, as, as we often do in our society, and often not because we want to, but just because that's the societal expectation. You know, if someone in, in the United States, for instance, suffers a bereavement, uh, you know, the whole process of, of, of grief is one that can take a, a very long time. But what does the workplace expect from that person? That they're back at their desk Oh, Maybe they yeah. gave them a day off, but a couple days later. Mine, mine was back. three days when I worked in the yeah. corporate world. They gave me three days. That was pretty insulting. <laughs> that's another, that's another I, topic. Of a segment. Exactly. You know, I mean, that's, that is borderline inhuman. Right? Right. And yet that is the, 
the, the those are the parameters that people are working within at the moment, which goes a long way to explaining our malaise, I think, and our mm-hmm. dissatisfaction, our disconnection from ourselves and from other people. But if you do, again, coming back to my central theme, which is slowing down, if you do take a stand and say, no, I'm going to slow down and give those processes, those moments, those journeys, those ex- explorations, the time that they need and deserve, then I'm going to come out at the end of it a much better version. I'm going to come out the best version of myself, which ultimately will be better for the company too, of course, if you want to talk about productivity and bottom lines. Uh, but the trouble is that so much of the corporate world is too short-sighted to see that. Yeah. And any last-minute um, suggestions, Carl, before we close out? Um, two things. What can you leave the audience with on if they're finding themselves in this rat race? You know, how do they just – where do they start to be a part of the slowness revolution? Sure. sure. Well, I would, I would throw out a few, a few quick tips for slowing down if you like. Uh, the first is, is try, to do, try to do less. You know, look at your schedule for the next week. Identify one thing you can drop, the least important thing, and just drop it. Right? Just drop it and let it go. Second thing, technology, use the red button. You know, ring fence, set aside some time every day when you switch off gadgets, no screens. Maybe it's an hour, maybe it's half an hour. Just some time when you're off the grid. And then also try and build in a slow ritual into your day. It will be could be gardening, whatever suits you, you know, yoga, meditation, cooking, poetry, painting, whatever it is, just build it into your day and use it as a break or some a vaccination or something to inoculate you against the virus of hurry. And, and lastly, a final tip would be just to breathe sometimes. You know, if you're feeling yourself mm-hmm. getting that anxious, itchy, head spinning feeling, just stop, take a few deep breaths and go back a little more slowly to what you were doing. And then in a, a broader suggestion would be um, – if your listeners want to find out more about what I'm doing, my website is carlhonore.com. That's C-A-R-L-H-O-N-O-R-E.com. And that is the kind of clearinghouse for the slow movement. There are links to every kind of slow, whether it's slow sex, slow travel, slow fashion, slow art, slow medicine, slow oh, work. Wow. Okay. There. It's all there. Lots of video, lots of radio. And I'm just about to launch an online course, which is called How to Slow Down in a Good Way. That'll be going live um, Great. January. So um, okay. there's plenty out there for people to sink their teeth into and, and get the ball rolling. It'll be different for everyone. But I think the end point is the same for all of us, that by slowing down, we can we can live better lives, be better versions of ourselves and create mm-hmm. a better. And my last minute word on this segment is, you know, really take, I call it taking a digital diet, getting unplugged. If it takes, you know, 30 minutes a day of not being plugged into your laptop, computer, social media, or even your cell phone. And you, as you build your tolerance to maybe half hour to an hour, then you can go to a day or two days, but go on a digital diet. Alrighty, everyone. I'm April J. Ford here on Voice America with You Are Not Alone. I share my story and this show so that others can share their stories and have their glory, so that others don't have to experience the extremities of what I face, but would be able to take the fruit of my adversities and prosper with it. I give my permission to allow people to borrow my belief and faith. I give my love and light so that others can illuminate theirs. I share my joys and blessings so that others can share theirs and let others know you are not alone. We appreciate your joining us this week for You Are Not Alone. Please tune in for another edition with host April J. Ford next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to talk again next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.